This is Her Deepest Ecologies, the podcast. I am your host, Jessica Gigo. We are at a turning point on this planet and in this country in conversation with a wide range of artists, makers, creators, and caretakers. This podcast takes on two fundamental and interconnected questions. How do we care for ourselves and each other? How do we nurture the earth? Let's find out what these luminaries have to say. Llewellyn Melnick is an author, writer, and mental health advocate in Manitoba, Canada. She is a journalist by trade and a farmer by choice. She has a passion for growing everything from wheat and canola to a vegetable garden, chickens, and two farm kids. Llewellyn worked as a reporter and anchor at at CKX Television in Brandon, Manitoba, before turning her focus to farming alongside her husband. But writing continues to be her passion. Her new book, Rooted, is a prescriptive memoir that tells the story of her own struggles with anxiety and depression and offers tips on how to stay small town strong when things get tough. Mental health is one of the biggest threats to rural communities, and Llewellyn has made it her life's work to start more discussions around this topic, advocating for agriculture, women, and mental health. We had a great conversation, her from her 5,000-acre grain farm, me from my five-acre sheep farm in Washington. I hope you enjoy it. I decided to write the book right before COVID hit, and um, so you're right, it did kind of put the brakes on. I was homeschooling children, so um, that came first, and I kind of put it on the back burner. When I got into writing it, it was really a, a project I took on because I used to be a journalist and I reporting for me was always something I love. Um, in my quest to improve my own mental health, it really was almost like I was writing a story or investigating something. And so I was always learning more, um, trying to find out more. And so writing the book, was a lot of just telling my experiences, but also a lot of reporting too, because um, I wanted to give people a feel for what I had gone through in my mental health journey, but I also wanted to offer some tips that were going to help other people. And I didn't want to take that lightly and I didn't want to give bad advice. And so I wanted to make sure that if I was offering a book with tips for other people that I was doing a good job of reporting like I would for any other news story that I used to report on. So um, yeah, there was a lot of investigating and reading and doing research. And so um, my background in journalism really helped me write this book because it was essentially a very long news story (laughs) about how to improve mental health um, and just um, worked out that I intertwined my own story into it. So it was a little different in that respect, but um, definitely the skills that I had learned in the past helped me to write every word of it for sure. Hmm. That's great. And and did you publish individual chapters of it or was it really a kind of a whole book that you wrote in terms of, you know, publishing it? So to publish it, um, I had a goal um, to have somebody said 60,000 words for a nonfiction book. And so I set out to write a book. Um, 
and I really didn't know what that looked like. I was writing different chapters and they weren't in order. And so I had kind of these thoughts and these ideas. And so I would have one idea and then I would work on another idea. And so they all kind of were separate pieces. Um, and then through the editing process, um, I hired an editor, it kind of all came together. And then we put it in an order that made sense when we edited it um, through telling my story and then also through what's what's in the book. Um, I had pitched it to a lot of places to try and sell it um, to agents um, in the publishing world, which I knew nothing about. You need to get an agent and an agent needs to find you a publisher. And so I tried really hard to do those traditional publishing things and um, realized pretty quickly there was no appetite or desire from anyone to hear a story from a farmer. And um, I write about this in my book, so it's not surprising that I encountered this in publishing, that um, agents would say there's no um, audience for this, and there is not enough people who are interested in this to read this, and so never did um, end up getting an agent or a publisher to work with me after trying for quite a few months. Um, I think it was over a year. And decided that I wanted to publish it. I knew that I wanted to help people and that my story needed to be told. And so what I decided to do was um, self-publish. So I used a hybrid publisher here in Canada um, named Friesens. And um, they walked me through the process. Um, of course, had to um, have a large investment in myself and my project because um, no one else is willing to do it. But um, yeah, I don't have any regrets in that respect. I'm glad that I decided to go that route. I know that publishing right now, the landscape is changing drastically. And so um, I think that it worked out um, the way that was right for me, not the traditional publishing maybe isn't right for other people, but I think that it was good in the way that I got to make the decisions regarding my book and I got to do it the way I wanted to which um, I think worked out well in the end. Hmm, that's great yeah I had a similar experience with my memoir um, in just you know mentioning the words agriculture or farming there's immediately like a glazed over <laughs> look by a lot of agents and 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 people thinking oh this is going to be like you know, this pastoral tale, and you're like, no, actually, you know, my experience as a woman in agriculture is quite different. And, and my story is about, you know, not coming from a farming background and how I learned and the places where I learned about agriculture, um, from research farms to small farms, um, mainly in the Pacific Northwest. But I really, I did appreciate learning about your story in this book, although it's not necessarily like a typical memoir in the sense that um, there's so much other uh, sort of information and research included in here. Um, I kind of consider this maybe more of like a creative nonfiction type book. How do you categorize this book? You know, it's really hard to categorize it because um, when you're picking a genre, I don't know, there's so many of them. And so one of the new things now is um, a hybrid memoir, which I guess is what you would probably call this. Um, so you use memoir as a base to, you know, a gateway to whatever it is that you're presenting. And so it is a memoir. In one sense, it is a self-help book in another sense. So I guess I would categorize it as a hybrid memoir. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could 
you could call it a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and are you, how are you sharing the book? Are you sort of reaching out to other rural communities? Um, have you shared it within your community? How, how is that process going for you? Yeah, so I have it obviously listed on online platforms like Amazon um, and online bookstores. I really wanted to make sure that it was available in small towns. So I did a small town tour and made sure that all the small towns around here had a copy of my book um, so that the people who would want to read it would have access to it. Um, and so I will be doing some speaking this winter um, at a couple of conferences, um, mostly rural-based audiences. Um, so I'll be reaching out to them and um, and talking about my book in, in that setting as well. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, I'm sure that's a lot of uh, the getting to the small towns around you. Sounds like it'll actually be quite a, a lot of uh, miles you'll be covering <laughs> or kilometers. <laughs> I did. I did cover a lot of miles. This is true. I, also, I did a reading in my local library um, in the town where I grew up. Uh, did a reading there and a reading at a couple other libraries. So that was good. And um, yeah, enjoyed that. And just to talk about your story a little bit, um, and then I'd like to kind of get into more of the content of the book too. But um, so you you grew up in a sort of rural farming family, you went away to school, and then made the decision in getting married and having kids to to sort of re-enter farming. Um, and, and that's sort of how you uh, got to where you are now. So I grew up on a green farm, not far from where we farm now. And it was just north of Russell, Manitoba. So like I said, small town, 2000 people. I, I didn't really love the farm life. And so I went to school to take journalism and lived off the farm for quite a number of years and worked as um, a journalist, as a reporter, and then eventually was a news anchor in Brandon, Manitoba, um, for CKX News at Six, which was just a local TV station there. It was a CBC affiliate, which didn't survive. Actually, it's no longer there anymore. But yeah, I loved my job. I It was wonderful, um, but ended up leaving it and um, married my husband, moved back to the farm, which our farm is now about half an hour from where I grew up. So it's really not that far from from where I grew up. But yeah, it was it was definitely a transition back into the farm. And so this farm is is definitely like a different feeling to be here than where I grew up because it's ours, right? And so um being invested here is it means a little bit more, you know, um when it's yours and and um and it's been it's been a different experience, I guess, learning to love this farm and, and living here and and having a different perspective. I really struggled as a child um, growing up on the farm and it was, you know, the workload and um, it just always seemed like the farm always came first. So it, it's always a struggle. Like even here it is, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that um, it's it's totally night and day. Well, it's not. It's I'm more conscious of of putting myself first and, and looking after my mental health. But um, there's challenges with living on the farm. And that is one of them is the workload um, and the stress. So um, I write a lot about that and, and, and really my experience with that. In your book, though, you know, you're there's sort of your own journey, um, which has various phases, right? Like a you talk about growing up in a, a rural area, then also just kind of what happens during motherhood. 
um, or the things that can happen, and you share some other people's stories as well, um, and then sort of the the broader issues of of farming and mental health. And so, I'd just like to hear more about your journey of self awareness. Um, and you you mentioned things like music and running um, that became very important to you as um, I don't want to say solutions or therapies, but just as practices that helped you. But how do you feel like you? What were the things that were really important to you in first? Um, sort of in understanding your own mental health and then working towards um, improving it. Or I don't know if improving is the best word, but, um, you know, accepting. Yeah. So the self-awareness thing um, is huge. Um, I went through a lot of days that I felt um, despair. Um, I would describe it that way. Um and found out mostly it was because of hormone imbalances in my body because I'm a woman and this is something that unfortunately a lot of us women experience. Hormone imbalance um, really can mess with your mind. Um, it did as a teenager. I dealt with depression because of that. Um, it did after having two kids in 18 months. Um, the postpartum was hard. Um, and so a lot of those times that's my self-awareness came mostly in those circumstances because of the feelings of despair or feeling down and I was like why you know can't I dig myself out of this hole like it just feels like I'm in it and I can't get out um so when I was dealing with that one of the things that helped me was running when my kids were small and I was dealing with anxiety, it was, it was running that really made me realize, okay, you know, if I can go for a run, I don't, I don't feel that bad, you know, like I feel a little bit better, so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and then there was a, a time later on when I decided to meet with a nutrition coach and learn to eat better. And then, you know, doing that, I was like, oh, I feel so much better when I'm eating, you know, better stuff that really helps. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing that. Um, so the self-awareness thing really just comes over time, but is super helpful to realize, um, okay, so if my hormones are messing with me and three days out of the month, I feel absolutely like garbage, maybe it's a hormone thing and maybe I can get that looked at. Or, you know, maybe I'm not exercising enough. And when I do, I feel better. I'm going to do that. And so the self-awareness thing was really, really huge. Um, and I, I feel like sometimes we discount all of those things um, and just think, oh, I just feel like crap. Well, why? Like, there's lots of things that maybe you can attribute it to. Um, and maybe you can't. But all of those things were healthy practices that I really put into practice and try to do every day because I know that they do make me feel better. Um, the other thing was allowing myself to feel with no guilt. Well, that was a huge thing to realize. Um, we can't heal if we don't feel. And so if we're ignoring kind of what our body is screaming at us, um, and oh, we feel like crap, but I'm not really going to do anything about it. Or you get so used to feeling like crap that you just carry on. Um, 
you know, you have to feel those things and recognize and listen, just listen to your body because lots of times it's telling you something. And so, um, I think that, that will, that is a really important thing. Yeah. I appreciate in your book too, like you mentioned a lot of, um, people or, or work, people's work that's been helpful to you, um, like Gaber Mate and Brene Brown. Also, you point out quite a few like internet or in- Instagram doctors who also are addressing some of these hormone issues and, and things that really we don't know that much about, uh, which is, uh, I, I'm in kind of a, a perimenopause place following a postpartum place. So I've been on a, a, a very roller coaster hormonal journey myself. So that chapter in particular was very interesting to me. And so I'm just curious, like what have been some major guideposts to you or, or what do you feel like have been moments in your life where you've had epiphanies about your own mental health and how, how has that come together for you? Yeah, I would say getting a naturopath really helped me realize that I can influence my hormones and that there is things I can do and not just be at you know, surrender, here we go. Um, so that's been an epiphany, um, doing that and looking after my hormones. Um, an naturopath is great just because I love the holistic approach. Like you said, you know, if you go back to the eating and if you go back to the sleep and the exercise and, and the things that can prevent things, instead of treating something, if you're preventing it, it's always usually better. Right. So, um, I guess the epiphany, I would say that if I've had one would be just that those holistic things that you can do is far better than treating the thing later when it's really bad. So, um, I've leaned on my naturopath for sure. Um, I also, uh, is, I'm a big fan of Rachel Hollis. I followed her forever. Um, she was one of the people who, um, you know, made me believe that I could write this book. So, um, I do, I do think that she was, a, a one of the big, um, people to credit. Um, and yeah, lots of books. I mean, I read a lot about, about things that I, you know, maybe was interested in, or maybe just could help me feel better. And so Brene Brown was, is, is still fantastic about even just letting us um, be who we are, right. And not try and be somebody we're not and connecting with other people because we're more the same than we are different. And so I think she was great too. She's, she always has some great advice. Yeah. The gifts of imperfection. I read that when I was pregnant with my first daughter and I feel like I keep going back to that book, um, just for grounding and, um, kind of finding my way when I, I can tell I'm getting sort of out of balance. (laughs) Yeah. That book is like one of my favorites. Honestly, I think I could reread it and reread it. (laughs) Yeah. And I just recently read the Gaber Mate book, When When the Body Says No. It was actually recommended to me by my therapist. And I hadn't heard of that book, even though I know it's been around for a while. And I, um, it's particularly important to me right now, just in managing stress and farm work um, and realizing, um, you know, like we started our sheep dairy when uh, my one, my first daughter was two and my other daughter was in my belly. (laughs) And so I've kind of confounded a lot of that um, sort of postpartum uh, stress, you know, just in managing two little kids with uh, managing a flock of sheep and trying to teach them how to get on a stanchion and <laughs> and just realizing that that's added up over time in addition to the um, sort of pandemic stress and, and everything associated with isolation and kind of the world locking down. 
and so I'm I'm personally dealing with just some things right now that um, you know that I'm trying to that I've that I've avoided, and so it's interesting that book to me is really helpful in just you know how do you know when the body's saying no, and just the influence of stress on hormones, and you know what what's the root cause of some of these things, and I'm just curious, um, you know, for you. Uh, how has, you know, farm work or just the, the lifestyle of farming, how has that affected kind of your awareness of your of yourself, both physically and mentally? Yeah, it affects me every day. Um, it's it's a struggle every day. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I was in the garden all morning this morning, hauling out vegetables. Um, things need to get taken into the house. We're going to be combining soon. Um, it's harvest on our farm. And so we'll be in the field this week and I'll be in a combine for a number of weeks until the crop is off. Um, there's a pile of work that needs to be done. And so um, sometimes when we have all of these things on our plate, it is, I want to say a challenge, but really it feels like a threat. It feels like a threat a lot of the time. The anxiety of of all of those things and all of that work and it can really kind of hit you and and it's not even just the work it's the thought of it right like I have to do this and this and this and this and this and and usually I'm fine when I'm in it but it's the thought of like the impending it's coming and there's going to be five weeks of craziness that can really play on you so it's it's a lot of mind work I find it's a lot of shifting perspective um I'm not, I'm not under a real threat today. You know, I can be in my garden and the sun can shine and I can pick some vegetables. I'm not in a real threat, but sometimes I get fooled into thinking there's a lot of stuff to do and there's not enough time. I need to do it. Oh my God. Um, that can happen in anybody's life, right? Like it doesn't matter what you do for a living. Um, but it, sometimes like if you're battling the anxiety, it, it's overwhelming. And so, um, I just, there's a lot of things that help me, but trying to do that mind work and doing some meditation or taking some time to do some yoga or just go for a walk or whatever it is to calm my nervous system when I'm getting like that um, needs to happen. And so um, fitting it in is difficult, but necessary. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there are some things though that are unique to farming and I um, I'd love to talk about this a little bit, um, just because in a lot of cases, most farm owners are also small, small or large business owners, but they're, um, you know, that working independently. So there's not a lot of safety nets in terms of, um, you know, having a, a, a corporate boss that's going to give you time off or let you take a break or, you know, have other resources. In some, most cases, most farmers, small farmers in the U.S. don't have, um, you know, they're, kind of scraping by with a minimal health, uh, healthcare insurance, um, which I know is kind of a different picture mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, so I'm just curious about, um, what you've experienced or what you've observed, just how mental health issues present differently in farming communities. Um, and some of the challenges there in terms of not, not only understanding what mental health is, but also how do you mitigate that when, you're sort of, you're up against so much risk in terms of, you know, you're working with mother nature and seasons and high variability and now climate change and all the sort of climate change induced uh, weather changes. Um, I'm just curious about your observations around that. 
Yeah. Um, I think that there's so much we can't control if you're working in agriculture. Um, you said it like the weather is one thing you absolutely cannot control. Um, we are at the mercy of it. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, and if you can't control that, what can you control? So, um, I think that's the mindset shift that is maybe a little different. Um, if you can't control, you know, your finances, if you're doing the best you can, something something shows up and, you know, puts you back a year or two. Well, like there are certain things you can't control. Um, and so we have to just be conscious of those variables but also be conscious of what we can do. So um, making sure that we are taking time looking after ourselves um, in rural communities and in farming communities, especially, I find that people are very reluctant to talk about struggling. Um, people want to put on a brave face and say they're strong and everything's fine and don't want to tell someone that they are struggling. And so that vulnerability is essential if we want to have connection. And so I find that, um, and especially, you know, if you're isolated, I, I almost think sometimes it's worse, but I don't really know. Maybe it is the same for you, but um, yeah, there's this like, culture thing that we're tough and we're strong and farmers are, you know, can get through anything. Well, we do get through a lot of crap that are, is handed to us if it's weather or whatever it is, because that's the nature of the beast. Do we like it? No. Are we allowed to complain about it? Absolutely. Um, and if we need to talk about it and if we need help, we definitely should be doing it. And there's, um, nothing that will help our mental health if we hide those things. Um, that's not a way to help it. Um, we need to feel it, but we also need to talk about it. So, um, I think that, um, there needs to be a little bit of a cultural shift there for sure. Hmm. Hey, what do you feel like you would change about people's perspectives of rural communities or what do you think is needed, um, going forward to help, I guess, sort of curb any future, uh, issues around suicide and, and mental health in farming. I know you've experienced that firsthand with family members. Um, I'm just curious what, what you think is needed. Um, so I think we need a lot of, I don't even want to say awareness, but governments to have more understanding um, and, and not just governments, but also just people need to understand more about where their food comes from. Um, we have, I know you talked about like your extension office where you are. We used to have extension offices here. They used to call them egg offices and they used to be in every rural community. And so we used to have these egg offices and they were a resource. So if you needed something, you could call, there would be an egg rep there. You could ask questions about, you know, if you needed help identifying a weed or if you needed help um, getting a business plan or, you know, getting programming. Um, our government has recently shut these places down. 
Um, we don't have an ag office in our community anymore. Um, they've also shut down a lot of the offices where we had ag lending. And so we used to have those offices in rural communities where you could go and get ag loans. A lot of them have shut down and centralized into bigger centers. Um, it starts with things like that um, with our government. If we're losing all of these essential, I want to say essential because they are essential resources for farming communities, it really is a hit. It's hitting all of these farming communities. We still need people to produce food and we still need these farming communities, but we aren't giving them the resources they need. And we're scaling back now and taking programming away, which is so detrimental. And I think that it starts with our government saying agriculture is important and it is. And we're not seeing them walk the walk or talk the talk when they're closing these places down and cutting the funding and all of these things that are happening. Everyone needs food. We need food production. And so it has there has to be some appreciation for the food that is being produced. Um, and it has to start in our communities. And I, I don't want to pit this as an urban versus a rural issue. But I think that if you live in a city and you are far removed from that, if you aren't educated in a way that you know where your food comes from and have that appreciation of where your food comes from, this is the result that you will see. And that will be cutting these programs and funding and all of the things that can hurt these family farms that are producing food for all of these cities and all of the people across the country and your country and across the world. Because let's be honest, we're exporting food across the world. So um, yeah, I, it makes me sad to see these things happening. Um, how do we change it? I think educating. So a big portion of my book is advocating for farmers and for farm families. Um, I know that there is a lot less farm families than there used to be. I know that farms are getting bigger to be sustainable. That's also just what's happening in, in, in what we're seeing in the world right now. Um, so I, there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to continue taking place, but I think the education, the advocacy, and the awareness of what's happening on farms is really so important. Yeah, I appreciate that. My perspective is, um, you know, a lot of the farmers that I'm around, there's a few multi-generational farms in our valley and they own the majority of the land, but there's a lot of new farmers um, all along the sort of corridor from Seattle northward on, you know, parcels of land that are similar size to my farm. And it's interesting because I feel like there are, there is a lot of pride in, you know, starting something new and garnering the resources. And then I've also witnessed a lot of people kind of burning out after a year or two and just leaving the field completely um, and abandoning the profession of farming um, to get a quote-unquote real job. And I, I struggle with that because I think there has to be a, a more nuanced conversation about how do you help people um, emotionally work through this type, the, the challenges that they face, in addition to just the, the hard financial realities. Yeah, I think a lot of the Know Your Farmer campaigns are great, but sometimes they're romanticized. And I mean, what do you really learn except where you see a smiling face on a farm? Like really we need educational um, curriculums in school. 
Um, we need to start kids young understanding where their food comes from and understanding food production and all the different types. And I think that that's something that would be far more important than, um, you know, a media campaign with you smiling with a sheep. Yeah. I mean, I love to see that and I think it's great, but, um, yeah, there's far, far more things we could be doing. Yeah, I agree. And I, I appreciate your book really just brings the, it's a call for, um, a more real conversation about what's happening in farm families, um, and how do you, um, talk about it. And I, I want to talk about this concept of healing loudly that you mention in your book, because I think that is sort of driving maybe the impetus of writing this and sharing it. And, and how, how do you experience healing loudly? And, and how does that work for you in your life? Yeah, so healing loudly, so others won't die quietly, was one of the things, one of the kind of headings in my book that really stuck, because essentially, that's was my goal in all of this. Um, was just to tell my story and share it with others. Same with, like you mentioned, I have some other ladies who contributed to my book. I wanted, you know, other people to hear their stories as well, to just know that you're not alone. And the only way to know that is to hear other people's stories. And so, yes, I am going to heal loudly so everyone can hear and know that, um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and that's okay. Um, does it mean that I don't have joy in my life? No, absolutely not. It means I have hard times. Yeah, I have good times. Yeah, we all have that. We're all human and that's okay. Um, but we don't need to sit in a dark place. And so, yeah, healing loudly to me was just let's all share our stories and let's not hide it. Let's talk about it. And the more we talk about it, I think the better we'll all be. Mm, that's great. Well, I love that your book comes with a playlist. And so I would love to, I, I, I sing country songs kind of as a hobby, but um, I'm very curious about your relationship to music and the role that it plays for you in, in healing loudly. And also just, uh, it, it's kind of, there's a musical, um, there's a musical backbone to your story. <laughs> yeah. So music for me was, um, it, and it is um, so much a big part of my life. I love music. I am a musician. I'm a singer. I lean on music every day. Um, music to me is just one of those things that um, brings me joy, brings me peace. It really is one of the things I love. And so a lot of the things that I feel, um, I feel through music and express through music. And so music was just something that was so important to me. And when I started writing this book, I always kept going back to song lyrics. And if you know me just in real life, I always will bring up a song lyric if we're talking about something. Like I'll relate song lyrics to absolutely everything. So when I started writing my book and song lyrics kept coming up, I was like, how can I, you know, incorporate songs in this book? How do you incorporate music into a book? It seems really hard. But then I kind of had this light bulb moment where I thought I could just make a playlist and tell somebody to play this song right now. And, you know, a lot of the songs in there had something that meant something to me or took me back to a place, which for a lot of people maybe isn't going to do the same thing, but I thought it would be really fun just to put songs in there and have people play a song in the middle of reading a book, you know, something different, which is, it's definitely different. I will say that it was a, uh, an idea that was kind of out there, but I ran with it. So. 
Yeah, well, I love it. It adds a whole other layer to the book as well. So I appreciate it. That's awesome. Um, well, I hear it. Sort of, you know, the the main goals of this podcast are to look at these two broader questions of how do we care for ourselves and each other and how do we nurture the earth? And I, I really, when I saw your book and uh, it was actually in a little bookstore in my town in my very rural town. So <laughs> just wanted to let you know that That's your book awesome. was there at the book Shucker in Edison, Washington. Great. I, um, I feel like, you know, just between farming and also just the exploration that you've done of mental health and, and speaking directly of the need for connection and, and those things that, that can help us and what our sort of values are and how do we act those out in our lives. I feel like your, your book sort of naturally answers those questions, but I'm just curious, um, anything you'd want to add as responses to those questions? I think ultimately to look after our communities, we have to look after each other and we each have a responsibility to our community, whether you think you do or not. Uh, we need to lean on community. We need to have those connections. And um, so that is something that's going to improve mental health collectively. Um, and taking care of the earth, well, um, that's what we do for a living. So I feel like <laughs> I will promote that all day long um, because there's um, no other profession, I think, that cares for the land more than farmers do. Um, despite what you might hear from others. <laughs> um, yeah, if I, you know, any cattle ranchers that I know or farmers that I know take such great care of animals, of their land, um, the last thing we want to do is to deplete the resources that we use for a living. So um, yeah, I think that a lot of what my book kind of leans into is looking after nature leaning into it and leaning into our communities so I think both of those things ultimately will lead us to a great place and will improve our mental health I think that um, those two things probably are the most important values are and how do we act those out in our lives I feel like your your book sort of naturally answers those questions but I'm just curious um, anything you'd want to add as responses to those questions I think ultimately to look after our communities we have to look after each other and we each have a responsibility to our community whether you think you do or not we need to lean on community. We need to have those connections. And um, so that is something that's going to improve mental health collectively. Um, and taking care of the earth, well, um, that's what we do for a living. So I feel like <laughs> I will promote that all day long um, because there's um, no other profession, I think, that cares for the land more than farmers do. Um, despite what you might hear from others. Um, yeah, if I, you know, any cattle ranchers that I know or farmers that I know take such great care of animals, of their land, um, the last thing we want to do is to deplete the resources that we use for a living. So um, yeah, I think that 
a lot of what my book kind of leans into is looking after nature, leaning into it and leaning into our communities. So I think both of those things ultimately will lead us to a great place and will improve our mental health. I think that um, those two things probably are the most important. Thank you for listening to Her Deepest Ecologies, the podcast. For more information on our guest, please visit the Substack page for photos, complete bios, links mentioned in our conversation, and more. These interviews were recorded at Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle, Washington. Thanks to sound engineer Aisha. All episodes were edited at my farm, Harmony Fields.